The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Brian Robinson. You're listening to Roster Watch. Gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Go to Underdog Fantasy right now to get a 100% deposit bonus up to $100 by using promo code ROSTER. That is Underdog Fantasy. Go join the Best Ball Mania 3. These, these other contests, too, are just filling up like crazy. You can get 100% deposit bonus up to $100 by using promo code ROSTER. All right, joining the show today, one of the, one of the favorites, a, 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 a rare repeat guest, here on the pod. His name is John Daigle. You can now find him uh, at 4for4.com. He's going to tell us about some things they have going on over at 4for4. Four four. You can also find him on Twitter at not J Daigle on Twitter. That is at not J Daigle. Daigle, of course, is spelled D A I G L E. Daigle, so good to have you on, brother. What the hell's going on? Not just a single repeat either, an annual repeat. Sometimes I even come on with you mid-season, and I enjoy it even though I'm busy. But I will say, yes, previously I came on this podcast and I was with NBC. My good friends over there have since branched out to 444.com, as you mentioned. And I only want to bring it up at the top of the show because right now for friends only. And if you're listening to the Roster Watch podcast, you certainly are a longtime friend. Uh, you can use the promo code Daigle10. That is Daigle10 at 444.com to sign up. And that's where if you enjoyed, for instance, last year's Roto World Waiver Wire column, in fact, the Roto World Waiver column from the last three years, that's where it will be this year since I'm taking my talents, not to South Beach, but over there. And we'll have the first one up here the first week of September before week one. So that, not to mention team previews, are wrapped up, all 32, written by me, updated throughout training camp, will also be wrapped up by Friday. So by the time you're probably listening to this podcast. So Daigle 10, that's the promo code. Hey, hey, Dave, well, I, I didn't ask you about this beforehand, but are, are you going to do um, you're four for four now? I'm, are you going to do any DFS stuff? I I am. And actually d- didn't play on this, but Daigle 10 also gets you not only that redraft stuff I mentioned, not only the private, which will be private this year behind the paywall uh, waiver wire chat. That was actually always NBC's highest watched YouTube video weekly with everyone. That's going to be in the 4-4 Discord, but it includes the DFS package for 4-4 as well. And myself, TJ Hernandez, 
and Tim, Tim Talmadge will actually be doing our own Friday night DFS show once injury reports come out. Uh, not to mention, I will actually be doing my own column top plays for 4-4 and updating them throughout the weekend. So I actually think I'm going to be, even <laughs> though personally I was involved in DFS, I actually think it's going to be more front-facing even more this year. Are you are you gonna, are you gonna do, what's the pod with TJ the DFS MVP are are you going to do that one with him? That will be a that'll be a twenty to thirty minute free tease, but we're going to be doing a paywalled one Friday night uh, where I can drink and get sloppy and just tell <laughs> you tell you how my brain's working over what the hell everyone's doing in DFS since it changes daily. Well, dude, I mean, I do the show on Roto Grinders. I've been doing it for years with with Cardi, and, and, mm-hmm. and we put it up on Roster Watch too, and we do that show on Saturday. Because it just feels like, like you said, man, it's like a lot of times all this stuff is just waiting for Friday. You know, mm-hmm. you wait for Friday, the injury reports come out. All the content that comes out prior to that is just sort of prelude. It's like, what do we do if we get this news on Friday? Like, what are we going to do if this happens? What, like, by the time Friday comes around, like, you know, I, I feel like that the content that you get on, you know, Friday nights, Saturdays and stuff as far as DFS, that's sort of like the finished product that's sort of the best when you have all the best information. So uh, it'll certainly be great to hear from Daigle about all that stuff. And uh, we'll we'll be looking forward to it, brother. Of course, though, the people right now are coming to you for the redraft takes. They they, got to know what they're doing just for their home leagues, Daigle. So uh, let's just talk about some of these, some of this news, some of the takeaways coming out of the preseason games. I wanted to ask you just first off, um, do you have any do you have any thoughts about just the Patriots offense in general and this whole stuff that's come out? It's like, is Matt Patricia really calling plays? And does that does that bother you at all? Um, also, do you believe all the talk? And and do you think it's kind of weird that we're getting this talk from Bill Belichick, who never talks up players, but he's talking up Ramondre Stevenson? It's like a bizarro world where Bill Belichick is talking about how good a guy is in pass pro and stuff like that. It's like almost like Maybe this whole James White role that, you know, we a lot of fantasy analysts have been wish casting for Ramondre Stevenson might be coming to fruition. How do you see it? How do you see the Patriots? There are lots of ADP dips right now that I'm buying into. Overall, in the Patriots offense, I think I'm more down than most. Like, I don't mind Mac Jones as a QB two or three in best ball, but we're now getting into redraft season where I'm certainly not waiting and punting that onesie position with with Matt Jones, even last year, if we take into account that three attempt game and the Buffalo storm on Monday night football uh, <laughs> and just remove it all together, Matt Jones did average and increase 32 pass attempts per game in the rest of those contests. But overall, like you said, Matt Patricia, now do we actually trust this offense? So where I'm kind of falling in line is taking chances on Devontae Parker, who we know will be on the field every single snap. Like not only in two wide sets, but also in red zone personnel, not where they'll use Jacoby Myers. So while Jacoby Myers can get by as a high reception floor guy, like Jacoby Myers doesn't have touchdown equity and thus doesn't have upside. So I'm not really worrying about him unless we draft rookies like a Garrett Wilson, like a Sky Moore. We stack our rosters there. And then we know most likely they won't deliver in the first month or so. And that's when I'm taking Jacoby Myers as just a, a bridge to those players in my lineup, especially in PPR formats. But Devontae Parker, you know, an averaging seven and a half targets per game the last two years in Miami, like I still want to be higher on him as a player who's not going to come off the field. Not to mention right now we're seeing Damian Harris going two or three rounds behind in most high stakes drafts, Ramondre Stevenson. 
the event we needed to happen for Stevenson did happen, and James White either being injured or, in this case, retiring. So now we know Ramondre Stevenson is the pass-catching back. Uh, for what it's worth, James White, in only two games with Matt Jones last year, averaged 14 and a half fantasy points in PPR leagues. So we think Ramondre Stevenson can get by that way. But I don't like saying he's going to emerge as a three-down option or have a goal line role because we have literally a decade of evidence with Bill Belichick and how he uses his backfield. Last year in drafting, or Damian Harris even, the argument was never that he was going to be a three-down player. And guess what? He wasn't a three-down player. He just happened to score double-digit touchdowns because Cam Newton vacated a league high and carries inside the five yard line for someone to take over. And we know it was going to be the big bodied Damian Harris. Same thing this year where Damian Harris was one of only two running backs last year to have over 30 carries inside the 10 yard line. That is not Ramondre Stevenson's role and do not pretend like it is. So I still think Damian Harris is a tremendous value. If the Patriots can build leads. That's the question, though, because if they can't build leads because of Matt Patricia, then the answer is Ramondre Stevenson. Anyhow, I'm still buying the dip on Harris in every league, though. What about Matt Patricia's old team, the, the Lions? Man, like whenever I watch that offensive line with all those guys healthy, you know, they that is it. That is an ass kicking offensive line. They look really, really good. Um, and you know that that's sort of the identity of the team that a coach like Campbell would certainly certainly want. You know, that that's what they've wanted, whether it's going to lead to winning, who knows, but their team's certainly being built in the image that it feels like those guys are going for. Um, whenever you have DeAndre Swift going as a sort of borderline first round pick right now, there's also Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift did look good in, in the first preseason game. Uh, he did score the touchdown, but uh, I believe it was t- on the 10 snaps that were with the first team offensive line. It was six snaps for, um, it was uh, six snaps for, Swift four snaps for Jamal Williams. I just wonder for you, where are you on Swift? Do you think that this is going to be a committee that's bothersome for you uh, with Swift, or are you more worried about injury? Are you in on Swift? Like, how do you see this whole thing playing out with the Lions run game? And it was a committee last year. Remember, Jamal Williams made 10 appearances alongside DeAndre Swift, and he still averaged 12 touches per game behind Swift. So I think both Swift and Williams provide value. Williams is not a sexy pick, but also remember in three starts without Swift, Jamal Williams handled 19 touches in those games. So we don't want to treat him like a player who can provide value or bridge production while waiting for like a contingency option if you draft Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White, Tony Pollard behind him. But really, Williams is that player with upside in the event Swift gets out of the way. I'm still trying to chase Swift, though, in the back of the first round. I think there's an argument to be made with him and Saquon Barkley, really, at the turn. And the good news is we know that Swift last year, at least, in this Dan Campbell offense, did average six targets per game, which tied Leonard Fournette for the league high at their position. And so knowing that, knowing that he somehow has stacked 108 receptions, uh, through 26 career games. Like it, it's actually pretty good in PPR leagues, in my opinion, still, still chase him. The issue though, where I come into is everyone thinks Jared Goff is undervalued as like a, a late QB. And maybe it's the case if he has spike weeks, but also like, I don't trust this lion's offense as much as everyone else. I'm actually considering them more like the Broncos of last year, or even the jets this year, where they're still a quarterback away from being competitive. Uh, I'm one of the few people actually, and sharp people are actually on their over six and a half win totals. I'm one of the few people who's on under, but even last year, 
Jared Goff, a a three-year low. So now we've seen his fantasy points per game and yards per attempt decline progressively and three consecutive seasons. Um, TJ Hawkinson as well as being touted as a, as a, dead zone tight end everyone's trying to draft as a tight end six or seven depending we have a tight end dead zone these days <laughs> we do have a tight end dead zone <laughs> okay. and like honestly my argument is like tj hawkinson is actually the worst pick in all of fantasy given this <laughs> this theoretical wanderlust upside we keep giving him like even last year he had a career high in targets per game target share and catch rate and still finishes the tight end 15 in points per game like there is no upside we are waiting for nothing to happen and yet everyone's still drafting him where there's so much better players in the eighth or ninth round at every other position just expand your brain don't get locked in on needing a tight end so i definitely think everyone should just basically never draft tg hawkinson unless he falls to the 12th or 13th round which he'll never do uh so yeah I, i'm actually a little more down on the lions offense than most but yeah. given his reception upside i do think swift does have a case of 12 13 overall the 2022 roster watch cheat sheet is available now at rosterwatch.com the revolutionary cheat sheet that changed fantasy football forever is back only at rosterwatch.com Winning fantasy players don't use outdated magazines or expensive draft software that's impossible to navigate. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. All you have to do is follow the three simple rules. That's it, three rules. Guys, it couldn't be easier. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. An expert quality draft is always guaranteed. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. It's only at rosterwatch.com. Well, all right. So let's talk about a guy who everybody's down on and, and, what, and what we do with this, Daigle. I, we need advice from from Daigle. What what do we do with Antonio Gibson now? Because Antonio Gibson in the preseason game, what he fumbled, then he was benched for Brian Robinson, uh, who then Brian Robinson then scored a touchdown. Gibson had to come back in with the backups. Now we've gotten word this week that he's working with the damn third team. He's working as a punt gunner, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bra- and here's the thing: Brian Robinson is not that good a prospect. So I understand that he was good. He was decent. In, he was decent in college, SEC guy, Alabama guy. But um, he will also, you know, he came into the league. He's old. This isn't your average Alabama. This isn't a Damian Harris or Josh Jacobs or any, you know, this isn't the same guy, right? Um, how so? How worried are you that now JD McKissick is going to be back? Now Brian Robinson, who's not even that good, is taking away a bunch of snaps from this guy, and everybody in Washington D.C seems to just complain about the fact that he fumbles too much, Antonio Gibson does, and close observers of the team, I'll admit, I hadn't really noticed it as much last year, but they do break out the all-22 and say, look at this hole that he missed on this one play. Look at this Look at this opportunity that was missed by Antonio Gibson last year. There was some frustration with the coaching staff and with very, very close observers of that team that Antonio Gibson left a lot of meat on the bone. Do you believe those things? What is your take on Antonio Gibson, and how far does he need to fall before you're interested in taking him? I've, I've, I've seen him go in the sixth round, seventh round. Like you, I started worried and have now become even more tremendously worried given all, <laughs> okay. all the news you said. Also like you, like I've, I've been on this with you the entire time. Brian Robinson is a terrible prospect. It is literally someone I did not care about whatsoever, even when he was drafted doesn't matter at all Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to go all the way back actually to 2007 to find a Alabama running back who didn't average over five yards per carry Terry Grant um and Brian Robinson was the next this past year like it just he has he hasn't shown talent honestly he just got a lot of carries and is is big and old that's it so I don't really worry about 
Robinson breaking out, but we do know he has the goal line role and short yardage situation. So if you're going to project one running back in Washington to lead the team in touchdowns, it would be Robinson. So I, I continue drafting him everywhere, not for his talent, but for his situation. And same thing as J.D. McKissick, 15.5% target share last year when available. Uh, Gibson didn't break out with 27 touches per game until McKissick was injured. And Gibson came out post by is literally the only running back this team could use. So no, there's really no reason to draft Gibson at his current range in the around the sixth round because he's poor man's Elijah Mitchell. He's going to get those empty carries inside the twenties and then get taken off the field on both conversion downs and in the red zone, which is like not what we want. We don't want a 15 to 18 carry player per game who gets zero catches 60 scoreless yards and and zero money downs and honestly 15 to 18 may even being generous right now so if there's like like josh jacobs there is a range gibson can fall where i will take him and it's higher than josh jacobs still Uh, i don't want anything to do with jacobs but really so really so for you gibson over jacobs for sure like oh yeah oh yeah because uh we know that the Raiders are going to use four backs. Like they're going to go the full committee approach and everyone will only be using their role. And I don't know if Josh Jacobs has goal line role, to be honest. Uh, they may just hammer it to Zamir White, who, kind of, as you know, profiled as that thunder lightning combo player, um, big body bruiser on the goal line. So I'm not sure that's going to happen. Also remember Josh Jacobs, not to deter from Gibson's ADP, but remember Josh Jacobs actually in half PPR scoring on underdog did not have a top 10 game, did not finish inside the top 10 running backs until week 18 when everyone's league was done. Like he literally did nothing for you. He didn't mm-hmm. finish outside the top 34, but he also didn't finish inside the top 10. So it's just like, who the hell is this guy? And he did that with career highs and targets and catches per game. Now under a new regime and declining his final player option, we don't expect them to use him in that role at all. So like, I just don't see where he provides any value, even as an RB two, but Gibson, I will still bet on the profile, even though all the news suggest I don't. And like if he falls to the eighth round, let's say, because he is falling there, eighth, ninth round, that's where I don't mind taking him. Do you like, just just out of curiosity, and I, I know I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, but I mean, do you consider, would you rather have like AJ Dillon than those guys and stuff? Like, I mean, like, what is that a guy you like Clyde Edwards, Elaire, these types of players? I mean, what about, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm assuming you have ETN above them. Um, do you have ETN above those guys? Oh yeah. I mean, ETN has become a early third pick. I, I want ETN in the mid third. I think there's a tier drop off even after like, I, I think Brees Hall even is probably in the next tier of guys with Elijah Mitchell, JK Dobbins, AJ Dillon, for example, I think ETN's ahead of those players. So I am trying to grab ETN in the mid tier. The issue is he's getting squeezed now, especially in FFPC high stakes league. So like his upside is getting baked into the second, third round turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, for, but for Dylan, I do like Dylan. That my my one worry is that Dylan is getting elevated not for his talent but because we don't want to draft any of those other backs. Like mm-hmm. now that Gibson and oh, Jacobs, I get that. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. that Gibson and Jacobs are falling, Dylan has naturally been elevated not for his situation but because of the other players. But remember, like when Aaron Jones returned from that knee injury last year, uh, week twelve on, Dylan actually did out touch him twenty three to eleven inside the red zone and 12 to five inside the 10 yard line. So as a player, we didn't expect to earn targets in the league than to do what he did last year in the receiving game in particular, like Dylan does have upside. So he's naturally gone to the top of that ranks. 
All right. One more before I ask you the, uh, before I ask you a couple of big questions and just, and, and get you out of here, Daigle. Um, it's about the, it's about the Christian McCaffrey handcuff. Um, do you have, I mean, with Christian McCaffrey out in the first preseason game for the Panthers, Hubbard, Chuba Hubbard and Deontay Foreman, they basically split the reps evenly with the Panthers. To me, it was like whenever Foreman came in, I was just like, oh, you know, Chuba, Chuba's done. It's like this is this is done. It doesn't really seem like that's exactly the case. Um, we know that Matt Rule's, you know, we, we've all heard the story about Matt Rule's wife calling him during the draft and saying like, hey, man, Chuba's – Chuba's on the board. What are you doing? Don't you remember playing against him at Oklahoma State? Like, get that guy on your team. Uh, but, you know, um, I, think that, I do think they might like him more than the average fantasy player. I'm just wondering to you, a lot of people are drafting Christian McCaffrey and they're one in, 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 in season-long redraft leagues and home leagues. A lot of people still like to draft handcuffs. Do you have any thoughts about who the best handcuff is there for uh, CMC if you're looking to get insurance on your top pick? I genuinely think it's just going to be split and there's no right answer. Uh, I will say in the first preseason game, Chuba Hubbard did handle six third down snaps to Deontay Foreman's two. And remember, it's only the first preseason game, but they did play the entire first half split touches. No other running back came on the field in that first half. And they got to play alongside Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold and PJ Walker. So they ran both through the gamut and said, let's see what you can do. And Hubbard came out out snapping Foreman 16 to 12. And more importantly, had those conversion down snaps where we hope he would get reception. So, uh, you then have to go back and argue, well, is Hubbard even good? Like, is he efficient? Mm-hmm. Because last year he showed he's really not. Whereas Deontay Foreman went the opposite direction and finally rose up like the undertaker in dynasty leagues and was startable down the stretch. So uh, I still lean Hubbard in this situation, but honestly, Foreman's the more talented player. So maybe it's a situation to stay fr- away from altogether. Yeah. And it's, it's like, sometimes like that, if you're going to be taking, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, maybe with one of those picks, you know, if you shoot for the stars and maybe get somebody who can maybe take over, um, take over. What if, what if McCaffrey stays healthy? Right. And mm-hmm. you can, instead, instead of picking one of those guys at the end, you can maybe pick a Tyrion Davis price or something like that. That could, you know, end up taking over his backfield instead of just, you know, betting on the fact that your number one pick is going to get hurt. Yeah. All right. Uh, again, he is John Daigle. You can find him on Twitter at not J Daigle D A I-G-L-E, a great friend of Roster Watch and a great friend of all of Roster Watch Nation. We ask you guys to mobilize, unite, go give him a follow over there and support the work he's now doing at 4for4.com. Um, all right, Daigle, just a couple of questions here. He, these are the big ones that everybody cares most about, okay, is the, is, is the toughest ones right at the very end. Um, name one player who's greatly exceeded your expectations thus far through preseason and fall camp. So this is somebody who you didn't have big expectations for coming in that you look at it now and say, damn, this, uh, that's a, that's a lot more than I was expecting. It is Damian Pierce. And that's just because we don't know how the hell Florida decides to use their players. Like also why was Kadarius <laughs> Tony basically never used? Uh, it's so odd. And, and Pierce, go ahead. Oh, just like I'm just I'm just beaming with pride. I just I I I love to hear about Damian Pierce. I love to hear what idiots Florida was. I just I love it all, Dayco. It's just confusing, like yeah. knowing that in his last two seasons when he was a full time starter, five and a half yards per touch, didn't mm-hmm. miss a single pass block and pass pro, uh, and one point eight yards per route run. Like literally did it all. Uh, and then we saw in the first preseason game, only five carries, but shed 
broke multiple tackles on those five carries and averaged over nine yards per carry. He's by far <laughs> the most explosive back in Houston's yeah. backfield and very easily could lead all rookie running backs and carries. So he, he's a player that continues to surge. But the good news is because we get so locked up in underdog and FFPC leagues over the summer, like everyone forgets how wild West home leagues are. Oh, dude. Yeah, no man. one knows who the hell Damian Pierce is in home league. So yeah. you walk into your home league, you're going to get Damian Pierce in the 15th round and you should be ecstatic. Yeah, man, it, you definitely it's it's every year it takes a takes a mental like it just takes this change of focus from dynasty to best ball. Right. And then from best ball to managed leagues, it's just it's it's um, and you always forget, man, these these home league managed leagues, dude, it's really it's They're a whole wild. different world. Um, OK. And then the other question, just the inverse name, one player who you just had the highest expectations of. And based on your initial expectations, just the player who has just let you down just the most through the course of this, this preseason, through the course of fall camps, just the one who you had the highest hopes for that is just that is just gone splat. I almost think it's Cam Akers, to be honest. I keep going back and forth because I thought Cam Akers was a fine selection after Ezekiel Elliott, not really worrying about. Well, more worried about efficiency than his touches. Like, remember, in that in that last stretch in his rookie year when he won the starting job and came back healthy, he handled 88% of their backfield touches. And we saw last year in 12 games that the Rams running starting running back did not leave early or get injured. Uh, 11 of those 12 games, actually, the starter handled at least 70% of backfield touches. Sean McVay only wants to use one back. But now we know both him and Henderson – Henderson, of course, who have battled ankle injuries going all the way back to Memphis. They've tried to give Henderson the job several times over the course of his career, and he's just never been able to stay healthy. Um, there is, it is one thing, like a Christian McCaffrey situation, to like not draft an explosive and high-ceiling player and cite injury luck, but also it's a skill to stay healthy, and Henderson doesn't have that skill. And so I, I wanted to be higher on Akers, but now we see Akers dealing with a separate injury altogether and also was splitting first-team reps with Henderson and Camp prior to that. So I think I've lost a lot of the luster on Cam Akers, unfortunately. 